What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and this is the Live and Create Podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. On today's episode, we have Amy Tipton. She's a New York Times bestselling agent turned editor and owns and operates Feral Girl Books. Her passion to develop female writers through the collaborative process shines through, as well as her desire to create a life in the, the literary world that she actually enjoys. And she starts us out by sharing her story of suffering a stroke at age 30, just as she was starting her career as an agent in the literary world. It ended up affecting her speech and her ability to walk, uh, but she shares how it did not distract her from carving out her own place in the industry. And now it's been 12 years past her stroke. It still affects her speech. It still affects her ability to walk. But it's been amazing to see the career that she has built and how she's just continuing looking forward to the future of who else she can help develop and help grow. You guys are going to love this. The Live and Create Podcast. Yeah, and yeah. Were, were you in uh, New York City or one of the boroughs? Or I was no, I was in, in well, I moved around a lot in New York, mm. but I had my stroke in when I was in Manhattan. Oh, wow. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I actually like, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say I got lucky because I'd come from the subway <laughs> and it would be a pain in the butt if this happened right. when I was underground, but I was above ground. It was walking to work in the morning. Oh man. So yeah. That's why I actually had a friend. She moved out there. She was a dancer and she lived in Queens and uh ended up at I think she was 21 and she something she just fell off. And she walked out of her apartment in Queens and she just sat on the curb, had her head, like hands in her head. She said, doesn't, doesn't even know how long she was there. And her boyfriend walked up and found her there and they found out she had a stroke. And uh, it, it, yeah, that's it, what happened to me. That's exactly like I came out of the subway. I called my husband, then boyfriend. Right. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I have a really bad headache. I just thought it was a hangover. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hell of a hangover, right? (laughs) And I was like, I really, and he was like, sit down. Like, can you go to work? And I'm like, I'm really like addicted to work. Like I work really hard or whatever. And so when I was like, I don't know if I can get to work he knew something was wrong and he knew right away what it was and called the ambulance. I wow. sat there and like, there was a fruit vendor, like a food guy mm-hmm. serving stuff like by me. And he was like, do you want some water? Like what's <laughs> going on with you? Yeah, and so right. I was like, I'm okay. I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> wow. So, so, so if I, under, if I understand it right, then, um, cause I really wanted to start out with your story of the stroke anyway. And I like you yeah. telling it, I figure let's just keep rolling in <laughs> with it. So, yeah. so you were, you were literally going to work and got on the train and your boyfriend was with you or you called him. I, I missed that. Part. I called him like okay. he had left me when I was leaving to Queens or whatever, when mm-hmm. I was leaving to get on her train to Manhattan, I have a weird thing where I like if I get a new tattoo or if I change my hair or just whatever, like my parents goes wrong or like different, I would say wrong. But if it's different, I'll like text a photo to my mom or something and say, Uh hey, this is what it looks like because it's a horror (laughs) show up in my head. Like I'm like. Worst case scenario, if something goes wrong, like I'm gonna tell you so you can identify the body. Oh man. <laughs> and like yeah, I told you my head is a war show. And I've seen a lot of war movies, a lot of thriller movies, a lot of lifetime movies. That'll do so, it to you yeah. right there. Yeah. So I call like I called my boyfriend because I was like. I feel really weird. Like I feel off and you know, I have that thing. So I'm calling him, I'm telling him I have a headache. And I was like, basically like, this is, if something happens to me, <laughs> this is a headache and avenge me, you know, <laughs> like do something about it. Avenge me. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, do, do something, anything. 
So he right away called the ambulance. He like huh. knew something was wrong. A woman had stopped on her way to work, saw me hmm. on the street corner. I think at that point I was almost convulsing, but I wasn't yet. Like okay. she had me in her arms and she was holding me and she even like picked up my phone and talked to my husband, the boyfriend. Wow. So, yeah, everyone says New Yorkers are, like, mean or heartless. <laughs> and I was like, I did not experience any of that. I, I think I traumatized that woman. That had for way for experiencing this with you. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to always go back to the scene of the crime or whatever and leave a note saying, like, I'm okay, you know, because maybe she'll see it, but it never did. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Well, and it, it's funny you say that, too, because I'm sitting here thinking, like, man, all my times in New York City, I have family uh, that lives in Brooklyn, and then the last band I was with, we toured a lot, and that was one of our stops almost every single time we were out, uh, really because we love the pizza, and my grandma cooks great empanadas, <laughs> so we would yeah. we'd try to get out there. Uh, but it, it's, it almost sounds like maybe for New York City, it, they, they drop the pleasantries of the midwest but there's people who still give a shit about other people like they they're gonna come come to your your aid if you need it and and honestly most of the people we met uh were were great uh in any context so so that's that's amazing that they sat with you and so this if i understand the timeline this was about 11 ish years ago Am I, yeah, is that right? well, actually, it's to the day next week. It'll oh, be wow. my twelfth year anniversary. Okay. So, and what like, did it? And at this time, because you were you were a New York, a New York Times bestselling agent, right? Working in the literary world. I am now. Like, you are okay. I, so at this I time, you're trying to make it happen. Yeah, I I didn't know what was going to happen to me in my career. I've just become an hmm. agent. And he sold my first, uh, like a few books. Like wow, so you were right there. in the beginning of it when this yeah. thing almost takes you. Like out. all my authors, either I had never sold or just sold one book. Wow. And okay. so I had no idea if they were gonna stay with me, if they were gonna leave me. Like I didn't know if I was going back to the office. I didn't know if I was going to work. Like I had no clue. I mean, I was only thirty. Yeah. So, yeah, it's something you don't expect at 30. You yeah, know, you don't think about those things as much as that's a horror show in my head. <laughs> I never expected that. Right. You're like, if I could have done that instead of like the, the person hiding behind the shower curtain or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. What did the recovery process in the beginning look like for you? It was weird. I spent like six weeks in the hospital Mm -hmm. and then after like those six weeks it gave my mom she was there like immediately the next day and pretty much the whole time she'd come she stayed and she bought for my rights I had no insurance I had nothing so she got me actually into a rehab program in Idaho where she lives and I was like, ew, I don't want to go to her. <laughs> You're like, you know, I'm in the like, city. Why would I go yeah. to Idaho? <laughs> no, so, so I went, I flew Idaho with her. And I rehabbed for like three months. I did speech, which I'm not sure it worked. <laughs> but it's better than it was. There's been guess, progress is what you're saying. Yeah, right? yeah I couldn't. Th- this is coming from a girl that did not speak in the hospital. I couldn't mm-hmm. speak. Wow. I had no like. So you're just communicating ran, like just through nodding and. Yeah, I and randomly sign language. I randomly like I dated someone way back in the day that taught me different signs and different <laughs> like alphabet letters and whatever so I was communicating through that right and they taught me how to do speech how to walk but I mean I can use my cane and I can use the walker but I like the wheelchair only because well it's faster and it gives me stability right and it's just it's easier because I know that walking would be great, but it's not my end goal. What? Like I became a New York Best Time seller at, in a wheelchair. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't think I really need to walk in order <laughs> to do what I do. So if I hear you right, for you, you wanted to keep the focus on your career, even though you're in this process yeah. of recovery. It sound, is it, do you think of it as still ongoing uh, right now? Is that something like, yes. or is it a lot of like rewiring, trying to rewire the brain, those kind of things? Or uh, obviously I, I've not had a stroke, so I don't know what that, that looks like, but. No, I, it's like, it's always going to be a process and it's always going to be an ongoing thing with me, but I've decided like, for me, I'd rather focus on reading and writing and furthering whatever career I have because I'm pretty cool <laughs> without walking, you know, without this therapy. And so I gave it up, but I do a lot of exercise on my house and I do a lot of like one of my speech therapists told me the best thing to do is sing along with the radio and that helps you with different words and forming your muscles, whatever. So I've, I've been trying to do that, but do you see progress from that? um, Yeah. I just feel like I have a really big mouth. (laughs) So I like talk and yell and whatever all the time, but you know, it may always be like this. And that's like something I had to learn to deal with, you know, like it's kind of like what you see is what you get. And that's it, you know? Well, and that, I'm curious then, was it pretty early on, like when you're in the hospital or when you're in rehab that you just said, my career is my focus. And so that's, even though all these things are going on with my body, that's what I'm going to focus on. Was there a moment or was it a gradual No, I think I've just always been really driven about work or whatever. I throw myself into it. So I'm like super into like reading. I've always been a big reader. So yeah, like wherever my interests lie, that's what I'm going to focus on. Hmm. That's just who I am. And I have a really good like attitude in a lot of ways, like the PMA, the positive mental attitude. Nice. And so I have that. And I think that helps me like find humor in my day-to-day life. Because it's hard to be disabled. It's expensive. It's like you are looked down upon Mm -hmm. and people condescend to you. And yeah, you just, you have to like let things get off your back, you know? Right. So, yeah. Well, I think I watch a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. It really did for some reason. It helped me get through so much. Just was it a distraction for you or was there something you found like inspiring in it? Yeah, I think I found it inspiring in some ways because like these people also got looked down upon and they have really like tragic tales in some cases like with their families Mm -hmm. and whatnot like being kicked out or being not accepted I I like ate that up I obviously like I like weird things but I really enjoyed like watching movies like The Impossible and Soul Surfer or whatever Because I wanted to see tragic things happen to, like, good people and see how they overcome their abilities or disabilities or whatever. Because in The Impossible, like, it's the tie, like, what what was that? Like, a flood or... Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, they got... It's like, I don't remember what happened. It was a typhoon. It was, it was something oh, wait, that is, happened. Is that the one with the tsunami where the, am it's I thinking of the right tsunami. one? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have so seen that one. Yeah, It's like a family of like four, I think, where mm-hmm. they go separate ways, like in this tsunami and how they all find each other at the end. I found that really inspiring because I'm like, I could never survive a tsunami, 
but you know, like I survived a stroke. I was in the hospital next to an older lady who told me like she could never survive a stroke. And I'm looking at her and thinking she has cancer and I could never deal with that. <laughs> so I I mean the grass is always greener where you water it or whatever. So yeah, that's yeah. and that's and honestly it's it's a good challenge even to myself. Cause like, I think of distractions that come up, come about as an entrepreneur, as a musician, uh, you know, every day to where the distractions just seem to be so frustrating, but here you were, you, you had a stroke, which is way more like, if you want to call it, if I want to call it a distraction, that it seems like a really understatement, <laughs> like a strong understatement, but even there, you just push through and, and continue to build this career. Now, uh, as an agent, you you go off on your own and you start your own company, uh, Feral Girl. Or uh, Feral yeah, Girl I, left, I left my agency signature. Mm. I was with like two other agents or whatever. I left them in 2018 and went on to do editorial services with Feral Girl books only for like women, all women, like GNC, like NB and whatever. So basically now, like everyone except the women. <laughs> the women. <laughs> Say that again. Sorry, I was laughing over I said everyone except like the weight male population. Right. And more like the Trump male population. <laughs> You're like, I'll, I'll, I'll keep winnowing it down and <laughs> yeah. Like, what it, what inspired you to go off on your own and do this? I have always thought about it, but I really like got into big diversity conversations that are ongoing and book pushing. Uh, like we we need diverse books came up, and there are all these centered around the Me Too movement in 2016. And I've always been like a hardcore like feminist and right girl. And I credit Kathleen Hannah, you know, like growing up West Coast. Mm. And I was very much into like girl support girls. And so I don't know, it just, it felt natural. Like I always knew I was gonna do something. And then I was like turning 40 almost. I was 39, but I was like, you know, I'm not here with that. I had a stroke at 30. I'm not here to have a heart attack at 40. So <laughs> just oh from, the, from the pace of, of the industry. Yeah, I was like, well, and just being like my own, like, yes, I had other agents, so I had support my agency, but, you know, you are like one man band pretty much when you're on your own in your own office and you're reading and you're editing and you are selling foreign rights and you're doing film and you're doing audio and you're doing like everything, you right. know, like for this one person and their career, but you multiply that by like 20 because you don't just have one client, you know, you have like multiple and you have multiple books and careers get bigger. Hopefully. I mean, that's, right, that's the goal, want, right? you know? And so I just figured like, it's a lot of pressure on to me that I don't need. I don't need the responsibility. Hmm. I mean, I thought about opening up my own agency, but talking to another agent, a friend of mine who opened her own agency, I was like, I don't really want to do that. I'm not like a suit, you know, uh -huh. like I didn't go to school to be an accountant. I'm not like <laughs> here to be a lawyer to read your contracts. I just right. want to be creative. Like I want the collaboration of what I enjoy, like brainstorming mm -hmm. ideas and talking about scenes and switching out page 30 to page 80 and things like that. So it just felt natural in a lot of ways because I had a dream that was there was an imprint called Feral Girl Books. Mm -hmm. I was like, 
I would totally send all of my books to that place. Like, and I wrote to people on Facebook as I'd start this. I really want someone to start this. And no one did, obviously. <laughs> so I had to do it myself. And like Toni Morrison said, like, I think it was Toni. She said, like, if you're not seeing the book that you want written on the shelf, you have to write it yourself. Yes. So, you know, like, I wasn't seeing Feral Girl books. And so I started it myself. <laughs> I love that it came out of a dream for you. And as, yeah, right. as you were, you know, during that process of hoping one day someone would start it and then you you end up starting it, right? What does that phrase, feral girl, mean to you? I don't know. I mean, it, feral, wild, and I did a lot of YA. I still do a lot of YA, like young adult, like teen books. Oh, okay, gotcha. I do, like, women's fiction and women's romance around rom-com and whatever. I do adult books, but I was mainly known as a white, like, teen, young adult, like, fiction agent. So that's why the girl is there. But Beryl, yeah, like, I had to learn the hard way to not be so obsessed with being perfect and doing like things right and because I'm really OCD in a lot of ways like I'm very like I wash my hands and make sure I'm clean and my shirt has to be pressed and you can't really do that as a disabled (laughs) person and you can't really worry about that in the hospital so I had to, like, really learn to be comfortable with, yeah, I brushed my hair today, great. And I throw on clean sweatshirt, yay. So comfortable but, with you know, simply being a little wild, wilder in a way and a little more Yeah, open and- like, I think Aria has always been a huge influence in some ways. Who is that? Like, from the slits. She's, uh, she was from the slits and she died of cancer, but... Anyway, she, like, was this crazy younger, like, musician in the 70s, and she had major dreads for hair, and she was, like, wild. She wore weird outfits, and it was really cool to watch, and she was a big influence when I was a kid, like a teenager, to see someone like that. Because I wore weird things too. Like, but I I don't know. I have a weird thing about style. Like how I wanted to always present myself and like look good about present myself. And it's like I I think I still look good, but I have to just kind of be like, hey, this is me. This is who I am, and <laughs> you're getting me whether you like it or not. That's awesome. Well, it's cool that you chose to start start a business in the way that you knew would bring ultimate joy to yourself. Uh, I I that resonates with me because I'm in a season of of like rebuilding. You know, it's like during the time of COVID, uh, this whole year of predominantly just laying low. Uh, I felt like I learned some really great lessons to where now, as I ramp things up and start to build other new things, I'm like. I keep asking the question. I don't know if I asked this before. I always just asked what the goal was and I would do anything uh, to get there. And now it's like, you know, am I going to enjoy the process and trying to make sure that as I lay out the next steps for 2021, 2022 for myself, it's, it's like, I want to enjoy it. Maybe it's something like I'm 40. Maybe it's something right around 39, 40. Everyone like just yeah. starts to go, you know, I'm tired of the bullshit. Let me, <laughs> what, what do I actually yeah. enjoy? Um, but it also, I think in the creative world, it's like, like you, you were talking about, like you, if you started your own agency, suddenly you would be doing all the, the yeah, shitty parts of the industry stuff. constantly. Yeah. And it would drown out the thing that you really do love, the creativity exactly. and the collaboration. Yeah. And I, I just can't get behind that. And after I had a stroke, it's like, you don't sweat the small stuff, you know, like you just it's not that you don't care, but it's like certain things are not going to bother you. And other things might bother you more, but 
I mean, I don't know. Like, as much as I like writers looking at me as an agent or inviting me to panels or whatever, like, there's a certain clout or fame or whatever that you get off on. Um, But that just didn't do it for me after a while. I mean, (laughs) I couldn't really get on stage in my wheelchair anyway. I got So, like, and I couldn't navigate New York as easy as Mm -hmm. I used to. So that was also a big thing. It's like, I'm giving up New York. I lived there for a year after my disability. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Like, it's time. It's time for me to move. It's time for me to, like, grow up and do my own thing. Like, I moved and I still agented. And I've been agenting for a long time. And then I was like, you know what? It's time to move on. Like, hmm. give all of it up. And I'm going to see myself doing it again. Because life is like flux, you know? It's always in flux. <laughs> I'm true. always changing. I'm always going to be like me, sure. But, I mean, who am I going to be when I'm 50 or 51 or whatever. Well, and hopefully we're all evolving, you know, like I, the, yeah, exactly. I I've shared a lot by, with my wife. And as we've been talking, like I've gone through so many transitions the last 20 years, uh, mentally, spiritually, you know, physically, all sorts of things. And realizing yeah. that I literally, if I met who I was at 20, who I am now, like, I don't even know if we'd be friends, like just our worlds are so different, but ideally I continue to grow. And when I'm 50, 60, I can look back and like, Oh, I've, I've learned more. Hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll like the past a little bit more <laughs> on some level, but, yeah, right. but, but if we're not growing, uh, and we're not learning new things, then it's like, it seems like that's when people slowly die and whether death yeah. means locked in your house and just doing the same thing, you know, for 20 years and, or I think for some people, it even puts them in a state of where they do slowly just wither away. And, and yeah, I don't think that's what we're going for. <laughs> yeah, no, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, women in the literary world, right? And so like, for me, I'm, I'm the white dude, like I'm Puerto Rican, but I, I present and live as a white guy. Um, it, because most people I have to explain <laughs> to them, like my name is Miguel and I'm Puerto Rican, blah, blah. And so one thing I've learned talking about the transitions over 20 years, uh, one thing I, I just always thought the world was equal. I always thought everything was fine because guess what? It was fucking fine for me. Yeah. <laughs> but the more stories I hear of friends who are minorities, uh, different genders, different, different, uh, sexual preferences, all those I, I'm, I've learned so much over the last 20 years to see the world does not operate in an equal way. And so I'm curious, yeah. like, as you work, uh, you know, starting Feral Girl, as you worked in the in the industry as an agent, are there any stories that stick out to you that might help kind of pull back the curtain and say, like, this is this is how what some of the struggles that women see within the literary industry? Well, I can tell you, it's really hard as a female writer to break out, to be an overnight success. I know that like overnight success doesn't happen for anyone really. Like you're not- 10 years in the making, right? Yeah, right, it takes (laughs) a long time. But for women, you aren't going to break out in the same way. It might take you four books or five books or six books to have that big breakout moment where you make the New York Times or you've earned your money out like they give you in fans and then you have to sell that books that many books back mm-hmm. and then plus some to make money but it it takes a really like a big effort for women in this industry so I don't want anyone to be erased or forgotten or left behind. So that's why I am coming into this. I mean, like I said, Idris Elba, like he talked about diversity and said, it's not just a race, it's a sexuality. And 
disability and age and it's about a lot of different things and really like it's about diversity of thought like if you're gonna have someone like that thinks all of these things and incorporates all of these ideas no one's gonna be left out yeah. and that is why I am providing the service yeah and that Idris is Idris Elba right that said that quote i yeah he said the quote i'm not sure that's how you pronounce the name but you yeah, know I, it yeah i'm sorry if he's listening to the podcast i apologize if he's listening to the podcast <laughs> let me know uh we need to talk but uh <laughs> but yeah that it is a powerful thing as uh, as i i look at culture and how it continues to shift um i feel like there is like no doubt you know we even saw in the last four years the the uh, I guess, bigotry and hatred that still exists, um, but also see just a shift of so many people opening up their minds to see like that, like that true diversity and to see the value in that. And I'm, I'm curious when like you saying that, um, you know, women are, have a harder time breaking out is, is it one part, like they're not included in some of the backroom conversations, some of the, you know, like handshaky types, you know, yeah, I think it's starting to be better, but I, I do think that's why. And also, like, I mean, it's also education. It's also money. Like, it comes down to money and whatever, because who's going to get the, like, good grades and who's going to go to college and who's going to be able to be an intern that's unpaid and who is going to actually read these books first, you know? Right. And it turns out, well, like, white men are at the top of the food chain. And, like, they have, like, the ability to get good grades and go to school, like, college, and learn all the writing stuff. And they have, if you have money, like, you can do an unpaid internship in mm-hmm. college or whatever and you know like you're set like that's what you're gonna do so you're ahead of the game and the wage gap is real like women do not get paid as much as men so like yeah and i you're... think that's being seen in the arts industry more and more when you look at movies yeah, exactly. actors actresses versus you know it's it's been an eye opener. To, uh, I think for a lot of yeah. people, who didn't think even people like even women you would see as like incredibly powerful in the entertainment industry to find out that they're still getting paid. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars less, less. than their male counterparts. Yeah. That's that's nuts. That's crazy. And that's it's one thing sad. I think I've I've seen in the music industry um, is realizing like for me. So for example, as I said, as, as I continue to learn and grow and grow and stretch my understanding, I, there was a group of women, uh, in the, in the arts world, like in our area who started this, like, kind of like a woman's club music thing. And I remember thinking I had this thought, I was like, man, it'd be cool if like guys started that club as well. And then like the next thought that popped in my head, I don't know from where that came from, but it was like, well, that's, that's fucking every day, man. Like it literally is because I started thinking about all the guys that I naturally gravitate to and we, and all the agents who are guys and all the people who run the festivals, who almost all of them are men who it's a natural conversation. It's a cigar smoke. It's a, (laughs) you know, a glass of whiskey, uh, where I, I started realizing as I look around, I'm like all too often women are not invited into that world. Uh, I think some from ignorance, I think there is some purpose purposefulness behind it. Like some people who are just like, Oh, I don't want them involved, uh, which is still, it's sad to see. Um, and, but I, I think ignorance drives a lot of it and that, that kind of opened my eyes, like how, how, how much harder it would be for a woman, uh, to be in the music industry. Uh, obviously you're in the literary world, but I'm imagining some of those things that are same yeah. to like, to see, like they're just not invited. They're not invited to that table. And it's like, it's like, hell yeah. When I started seeing that group again, I was like, they created their own damn table and they're making it happen. And that's awesome. But that's cool. But I do think the industry needs to continue to open up and invite everyone to the table. 
I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I agree. But since we're not, like, yeah, if you don't see the novel on the shelf, you create it. You make it yourself. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, like, you're going to help your brother with sisters out or whatever. Exactly. So, yeah. That's huge. Um, There's one thing I noticed looking through what you do. It seems like the idea of development is a big deal to you, like helping artists develop their own uh, ideas. Uh, like it sounds, and maybe I'm just ignorant to the editing world. I thought of an editor as I just come in and, and edit it and kind of fix your construction a little bit, <laughs> but it sounds like um, you, you like to be heavily involved in that creative process. I do. What drives when that for you? I don't know. I think because I have writing background because I was a writer and I gave up writing because it's really hard to be a writer and an agent for me at least. I know people are. I know they have successful careers both as agents and writers but personally I just couldn't do it. So I really enjoy the creative aspect, like collaborating, you say developing or whatever. And yeah, like I think I have a really keen sense of what's good and what's not. And (laughs) some people that are rejected listening to that are like, screw you. (laughs) But (laughs) I have a really good, like, I'm Mr. Rogers of your literary neighborhood. Like, I am going to give you a really good foundation for your career. And you need this foundation first to fly off and do your own thing and be really successful. Like, I had worked with that author that made the New York Times for 10 years before that happened. And then it happened. uh, And I was like, well, fly away. You're fine now. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you're good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like that. Like, plus I come from this background of like beat poets and William Burroughs did this whole thing called the cut up or his technique was the cut up hmm, I'm not technique. familiar with that. Check that out. Kid A, like uh, I think Tom York on the Kid A album in okay. Riyadh, he like used that technique. He like single lines from songs he wrote, he would cut up and put them in a hat and then draw from the hat. Nice. And that would be the order of the song. And I think Al Jorgensen from Ministry credits a lot of his influence in sampling to the beat movement, to Burroughs. And so I feel this similar way, like the way I edit, I almost feel like a DJ. Like, I, I know some DJs are going to be like, screw you. <laughs> but, you know, like, kind of. Like, I'm not <laughs> totally a DJ, guys. But I do take this one perfect book or whatever. I'll read it. I will, like, make their page 80 to 30 or 30 to 80. And I will, like, say, oh, this line is really great. Can you expand on this? Can you do it here? Can the scene with grandma come earlier than later? You know, just develop your stories more. And I really think I speak that language. Like, I know the process. I know that the journey is long and it's frustrating and it's good to have some, like, key info. And that's what I provide, you know, that's what's lacking and so I felt like I needed to do that with my job that's awesome it's funny you said the the DJ piece because and you had mentioned that you listened to the the um Billie Jean podcast and where we were talking about I remember in that podcast we were talking about the idea of what true like the the art of DJing and how some people just want to hit play but there is an art form to it or you see yeah uh, big DJs like Avicii uh, who takes a song, I think it was uh, Leon Bridges, did the Wake Me Up. And I don't know if you ever heard that original song, but it's a stripped-down acoustic song, but then he made it this massive dance song and created... Like, he brought different things out of the song that I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm assuming the original 
writer didn't even see in it. And that could be a powerful, exactly. powerful game. Yeah, I obviously don't count DJs out. I think it's a total art form. Yeah, when um, done well, when done well. Yeah, I think even editing is an art form and like it deserves its own thing. Like it's, I'm not saying we're like the category of Oscars, but you know, like Oscars, if they did things for like best trailer and like whatever, you might win something there. Right. Like, because, you know, as an editor, you do take this one perfect piece and yeah, it's perfect and somebody's baby, but you infuse your own like <laughs> vibe into it. I know that. I have told authors random stories about my life or what advice my mom gave to me one time or whatever. And I've seen it in their work. And I'm like, there I am. That's me. <laughs> and, you know, like you get thanked in the back of the book and the acknowledgement page. And it's it's a thrill. It's nice to be acknowledged. It's nice to have someone say, hey, you worked on my book and you made it better. And that's that's why I'm here. You know? It reminds me. It reminds me of the producer role in the music world. Um, my, yeah. Actually, my last interview was with the producer uh, here based in Kansas City. The band I used to tour with, we worked with a producer based out of Nashville. And it, it was it was like this partnership. I thought of it as a partnership the more we gain trust with each other uh, because it was like, it's like, yeah, I would send him like this. I would think of a skeleton almost of a song start to finish. And then he would send me back this whole new like approach to it that I, in a way it was like, we got to the point where it was like, it was the things that I wanted, but didn't know I wanted it, but he put it in there. Yeah, and exactly. uh, I, th I think uh, you describing that sounds like editors, operate the same way or, or some maybe some editors some do yeah I think a lot do but I don't really know like their thought process and what they do for the book other than what I do right. what I hear from other writers and that is like jaded and cynical and they have their own <laughs> spin on things right. so you know yeah that's yeah. you got to be yeah producers you can meet those folks too and, and that's in our world there's like engineers who are the ones like they yeah. they put the mics they you know they dial everything in they record it and producers will sometimes do both roles um but it seems like a lot of people just stop there like and, and maybe that's the same thing for for you guys where like an editor just fix grammar fix this fix that but some you can go that extra do that yeah, I like doing developmental reads for people, which is like a bigger edit than just your line edit and your grammar and whatever. Like, I like going into a story and tearing it apart. Like, say, oh, this character and this character could melt into one character and then this can happen and let's make it this way. I remember reading like a book uh, retelling the story of Hades and Persephone mm -hmm. like in the underworld and whatever but the way it was told it was like this cute rom-com and funny and I was like you know what would be great is if this book were also like my best friend's wedding with Julia Roberts, like that movie. And that's a very and unique like, take on that subject. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was like, hey, let's do it because you have these two sisters that are not friends and one's like Julia, one's like Cameron. And for some reason, I know this movie, like the back of my hand, I don't know why, but something about this movie, like I watch it a lot. I don't, <laughs> I can't tell them why. But I do. And so I like described like to a T, like why I feel so passionate these two right. projects should mesh. And <laughs> she was like, okay, we'll try it. And there was another project where it was like people looking down on somebody in heaven and whatever, like how this one character, like, Marinette's his family after he dies like to 
to do stuff. I was like, but he keeps messing up. He gets so many chances or whatever. I was like, you know what would be great is like the three little bears. <laughs> remember the classic story? So let's melt the three little bears with this heaven, like guy, old guy dying and he gets his chances in heaven to fix his family. I was like, this will work. So yeah, I have weird ideas come to me if you want weird ideas. But that is, me. you know, and that is the, the key to creativity is being able to connect two different things. I That's one reason I love rap. I listen to rap a ton. I'm not a rapper. I'm horrible at it. I tried it once in college and I thought it was good, but it was bad, really bad. Anyways, <laughs> but I love rap and especially the ones like lyrically, they, they start pulling like Eminem is brilliant at this, Joyner Lucas, like they, they pull all these different things, but put them together to say yet another thing. And it's, that can be so cool. And it points out the power of collaboration because we, yeah. you know, our creativity comes from all the experiences we've had, all the things we love. Like, you, you know, for you, it was, uh, did you said my big fat Greek wedding. Was that the movie? Oh, no, my best friend's My best friend's wedding. I don't know why I put Big Fat Green. So my best friend's wedding, like for me, it's Interstellar is the one that I keep going back to. So it's almost become like a visual Bible to me in a way. (laughs) Um, But it's like we all see things in just a a new way. And if you can spin the cup, like creatively in the collaborative process, it's like, hey, we're talking about the same thing, but let's just just look on this side. And then something, something like beautiful comes out of that. I love... The creative process, especially in writing, I love when I get to the end of it and the recording's about to go out and I don't even feel like it's fully my song. Like, I feel like I can step back and say, that's a good song. Not because I'm like prideful and arrogant, but because I know it's like different hands have helped shape it. And I definitely have my own ideas. Anyone who's worked with me in the past, like I can get pretty tenacious about my own ideas, but at the end of the day, I want the best ideas to win and grow and yeah, that's why I feel like I want, I'm not here to make a bad book. I'm not here to make your baby like into a troll, you know, like that. that is not my intention. <laughs> like I want the best. I want you to be able to put your best book forward. So I'm trying my hardest to find certain things that will work. You may hate my ideas. They may not work. And that is okay because the process is all about trial and error. And some writers get really upset when things don't work, but it's like, that's life. Things Mm. are not always going to work. And maybe some accidents are happy. Like they do happen and they make things good and make things for the better. Like, I wouldn't say my stroke is a happy accident, but it certainly made me grow up in a lot of ways. It made me, like, focus on reading more. And it actually, my eyes were not doing so hot in the hospital. And so actually reading, like, my work got me through it, like, helped my vision, helped me correct myself interesting yeah so the your own work like rebuilt like your processes that were going on visually and mentally yeah for sure and I don't think I was ever like dumb in the hospital but they did say my intelligence got better I'm not sure what that's about because hello I'm smart (laughs) so you're like no that did not get adjusted uh there's a I wish I could remember his name right now there's a guitarist an old jazz guitarist um man I'm I'm really botching this story but um I think he maybe he had a stroke something happened to where he lost his memory and forgot like he couldn't he forgot how to play he actually used his own records uh, with his guitar and taught himself how to replay by his old records that he couldn't remember. And I was like, wow, to see your own art pull yourself out of the darkness of, of the ailments that you're going through. It's, that's huge. Um, there's, there's a, I I love that. I I can talk about like the create creative process forever. Um, but there was three more things I wanted to get to. Uh, before we cut out, there was something you actually shared. It it wasn't on my list, but it was interesting because it it resonated with me. You just shared, I think, yesterday 
<clears throat> and it's a meme where it says, uh, my son just showed me something he made. Oh, yeah, the like and love. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it where he said, uh, okay, my son just showed me something he made and asked, do you like it or do you love it? And those are the only options I'm giving people from now on. Uh, and you mentioned about the subjectivity of creativity. Um, and yeah, it just resounded with me. I'm, I'm curious how it resounded with you. The way I see it is that, yes, writing is subjective. And like a lot of agents run around saying, I want to fall in love. So really it's not a, like a rejection or a pass or whatever you want to call it. It's not bad. It's just they didn't love it. You know, right. they liked it. It's kind of like, okay, you've had a lot of girlfriends and you probably liked them, mm -hmm. but you didn't love all of them. You only loved a few of them. Right. Or maybe you loved one of them. Or if your wife is listening, you only loved her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's that. It's to me, it's like, yes, I have a, a past of boyfriends and and like most of them, I mean, most of them, but I liked them. And there was only like a few that maybe I fell truly in love with or one that I truly right. fell in love with. And, you know, one day you're going to find that too with your book. You're going to find an agent that like truly loves your hmm. writing. And so therefore it's kind of like, you probably don't watch the Real Housewives, but <laughs> like, I don't. I have, and I'll tell you, um, <laughs> the Real Housewives of New York City. Like, there's a character named, well, a character. She's a real woman named Ramona Singer, who I am not the biggest fan of, but I love her season eight tagline where she says, "I'm not." like I'm an acquired taste and if you don't like me acquire some taste and it's kind of like that's why I feel like if you don't like me or you don't like my books then acquire some taste because I'm an acquired taste that's awesome and I love that analogy of the dating uh in the like versus love I I think it it makes a ton of sense and I think that's a piece too. It's like even going back to that analogy of like dating where I think people see in the dating world, I know I learned in the dating world where I, I need to be exactly who I am. And kind of like that. It's like, if they don't have that taste for me, that acquired taste for me, then just yeah. keep moving on. Uh, and I think in the creative process, it's so easy to want to pander, uh, to create something uh, just for people's attention as opposed yeah. to the very genuine authentic thing and then and then simply accepting when people don't like it i and i think that's why i don't even know if i'm making sense because i actually just read it you i saw you shared it you know right before coming into this but i i think it resounded with me where just give people the options do you like it or do you love it and and yeah let that sit and and that's and, huge. you know move on don't like jake monsoon like from RuPaul's Drag Race said, like, water off a duck's back. And it's true. It's like, just let it roll off. Like, brush it off, move on. Like, right. who cares? I mean, I know it stings. I know passing stings and rejection hurts and feeling bad. You can feel bad for yourself. You can throw yourself pity party. But there comes a point where you just get up and you move on. Right. Because what? You can't do that forever, you know? Like, you're going to allow someone else to say, like, you're not good enough? Like, come on. I mean, I got really comfortable with saying no to people. Like, yeah, that's what agents do. You have to say no. And it's like don't take it personally if i'm wrong prove it prove it to me right and you know what like yeah say screw you amy or f you or whatever <laughs> and move on because 
that's what I would do. Like, I like my authors. I love my job, but I was always the agent that was like, my authors will beat up your authors because like, <laughs> but that's I've the kind of agent that. you want. Like I've, I've had different agents and different managers like throughout my life. And you know, there's some where you realize they're not really, you're just one little piece of their, your, your little cog in their machine that they created. Yeah. And I'm really loyal. Fun. I'm really loyal. I'm really dedicated. And if you come to work with me, like, just as I was an agent, now if you come to work with me and I'm your editor, like, I'm your editor. I've got your bag. Uh, you can always come to me a year from now and complain about whatever. Like, I know the industry. I know, like, the ups and downs. And I have heard it all. So, yeah. And, you know, I like to gossip. So, let's do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the last two questions, uh, it's the, the whole center of the show, the live and create piece. And so I'm wondering, uh, the first one there, how, at this point in your life, how would you define living a great life? Right now, I would like to probably have a house and I just live simply like I'm really big on that I don't need tons of money I don't need a lot of fame I am really unconventionally conventional like (laughs) like, I love that unconventionally conventional yeah in a lot of ways like I know that the American dream is to have a partner and have a house and have your picket fence and whatever And I am the same way. I want those things, but my house could be a boathouse. It could be a bus. It can be a shipping container. I'm really big on tiny houses right now. So I could live in a tiny house. And my partner is, you know, my boyfriend. And my dog is my baby. And, you know, your baby could be, an animal or adopted or like you can give naturally birthing right. your kid. I doesn't matter to me. I mean love is love, family's family. Like do you do what you want. And to me, I just want to live life with a garden maybe like a vegetable garden would be killer. Yeah, <laughs> that's. A, I want habaneros. I suck at gardening, but I want to. I wish I didn't because I want like fresh habaneros and fresh like serrano peppers yeah. at all times. That would be amazing. See, my husband is better off at gardening, so I'm like, yeah, I get in there and garden. <laughs> I'll read, I'll edit, I'll make money, and you can garden. And you know, like, it's great in Oregon because things grow here like everything grows like here and it's like all natural and there's tons of rain and it's a writer's paradise because we have so much coffee and fog and I loved (laughs) before this stupid virus came I loved like setting up the coffee shop I loved like reading all day and yeah I've kind of felt like my dad was dropping me off at the mall and coming to pick me up because you know like that would happen he would drop me off at like 8 a.m and then pick me back up at like 3 (laughs) (laughs) it felt like that because you know I don't drive so but and you know for me and it sounds like maybe this this is kind of where you're at where I, I, I definitely have goals like financially where I want things to go, but it seems like the further I go, even in this industry, I uh, had to start asking, <clears throat> what can I live without as well? Because the, in yeah. that simplicity, that's why I like that unconventionally conventional where, um, you know, a bigger house wasn't necessarily bringing us joy as a family. And so we ended up downsized. I was sharing where we went to like a townhome, you know, and those making those kind of decisions, it's like, you know what? some things that you think you wanted end up coming at a higher cost. Almost like where you shared earlier, where if you started your own agency, it would have come at the cost of your own creativity and that, and it's like, it's no longer worth it. 
And it's like, can we be yeah, happy with what so. we have as well? When I had my stroke, like I said, you don't sweat the small <clears throat> stuff. So yeah, I feel like I've always had like this punk rock dirt bag, whatever mentality. <laughs> but you know, like now, like I'm embracing like not my dirt bag <laughs> but you know like i'm learning to be like open it to messiness in my life or if i'm not as organized that's okay like i am okay like the world is not gonna fall i'm not chicken little the sky is not like comfy. it's gonna be okay i laugh because i can relate i part of my story is I've dealt with depression and OCD, uh, like to the point where there's season in my life where I couldn't have, I, I didn't really want people to touch me and like almost locked yeah. in my own room kind of thing. And, and part of it was just learning to, to let go. Uh, part of it is like trying to almost rewire the brain, um, through like cognitive, uh, whatever we called it recovery or something like that. But, but yeah, it's like learning to let go and like, Hey, the world won't end if this thing doesn't happen and just breathe and I used to be super organized about that like before I left for college like everything was meticulous and everything was great like I had to have my room be perfect you know and then I ended up going to college in Boulder shout out to Boulder because like you know yeah um but I went to a Buddhist college in Boulder, Colorado, learned uh, letting go. And I was like, I never really got it until later on in life. Like, I was like, wow, my roots or whatever are really showing. Like, this is where I belong. This is who I am. Like, yeah. And I think that's why I can say live simply and why I can downsize and not care about money I mean yes anti-capitalist and anarchist here but (laughs) you know like I also have this background in Buddhism that is interesting and different to a lot of like other people and what they think sounds like it planted a seed for you that's continued to to propel you down life now the last question um how in this season, how would you define creating great things? I don't know. Cause I don't think about doing great things because I think it hinders my process. Hmm. Like if I'm putting pressure on myself to create something great. I'm gonna like be static. I'm gonna freak out. I'm gonna like <laughs> stop what I'm doing, you know? So I don't put that kind of pressure on me. I say, okay, it will be great when I'm done. And with your help or whatever, this book is going to rock. And it's going to be awesome. And we're going to sell it. And it's going to be fantastic. But let's not worry about like the what ifs in this scenario. Like, what if I found an agent? What if we want us up? What will happen if blank? You know, like, I don't think about these things as much as, like, me if I should, but I don't, because it does make me feel weird. It makes me right. freak out. No, I get that. I definitely do. That's yeah. uh, It reminds me of uh, Stephen Pressfield, uh, The War of Art, and... Uh, where he are you familiar with that book at all uh i know it but i've not read it and he just drives home basically all the pitfalls that artists can get wrapped up in and he talks about this concept of simply showing up and you don't write to write the best thing that day you write like i have four hours today i'm going to write and that's what i'm going to do and when that four hours is up i'm going to get up i'm going to go walk and i'm going to think through the characters and then i'll come back later and edit you know and and have this process and this consistency that eventually drives to hopefully these great works but we get so wrapped up in in making things big or great and and then we freeze like you kind of talked about yeah like perfection procrastination it's all like the same it is like maybe (laughs) 
like backwards, you know, like front and back, but it makes you freak out. It makes you so paralyzed, but I've got to do great. I've got to make this art great. I mean, if you look on my Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and you see like the collab, the collages I make, like a feral girl and whatever, they're all messy and they are not great or pieces of art, but they're awesome. And I love them and like they make me happy and they make other people happy and that's all that matters. And it's really funny, like Mel is just like, oh, it goes to show you, you don't need very many followers to be as busy as you are because no one follows me. No, I have no friends on Facebook. <laughs> She's like, on Facebook. That's how I just want to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really have any friends. And that is probably why I'm so great at what I do. Because I will throw myself into your work. Because I'm not going to brunch on Sunday or hanging out at the bar like I used to be on The mimosas Friday. are not getting in the way for you. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, I'm not doing anything but work, so you could call that bad or, or sad, but it's productive, and it's, it's good for the client, and it's good, I guess, for my bank account, but... <laughs> One, I think really the part of it is, that. each for each person, like, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm wired to go, like, I am wired to just run at things and and I'm it's like over the last year I slowed down so for a season it actually did bring me joy help bring some healing some understanding of myself and how I want life to look Um, but I started realizing like no I like to I like to push the gas down on the pedal and just go at it and that does bring me joy as long as it's within parameters like I can go too hard and then you know crash that's a whole other podcast but but I think the big piece, and you've talked a lot about, it, is just knowing who you are and and being okay with like this is how I want to live life, and it brings me joy. And it sounds like you're you're on that journey of of building that joy for you and and art that will bring joy to other people, which is awesome. And uh, let as we wrap up, let everyone know where they can go find you and find your work and and connect with you as well if they're uh, an author or someone dreaming about this world. Well, I'm on Twitter. I'm really accessible. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And you can like write me at feralgirlbooks at gmail.com. And yeah, I'm open. I'm honest. I'm really blunt. And I will tell you like if we can work together and hopefully we can. So That's awesome. Well, thanks for making the time today. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.